0: I am Michael J. Weiss, Sr. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley and Southern California in the Los Angeles area, and I went active duty from the LA MEP station on the 23rd of August, 1977. And I joined the Army to be a chaplain assistant, and that's what I did for 30 plus years. It was perfect, and the timing was great, and Probably the greatest honor I received is that the uh, the chief of chaplains and his sergeant major Tommy Marrero, chief of chaplains was Doug Carver, Major General Doug Carver. They invited me to be the honorary sergeant major of the Chaplain Corps Regiment during their tenure, and they uh, they commissioned me and the honorary colonel, which is a good friend of mine, chaplain retired Colonel Sir Walter Scott. They commissioned us. To ministered to the chaplains and chaplain assistants. Our job was to care for those that were on active duty, which is like who you were. And I am so proud of you, Tiffany, and our meeting together in the mid-90s at Fort Sill and maintaining our relationship. I couldn't be more pleased and more proud of who you are and what you're doing and pushing forward for what's right. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you. I'd love to get your take on transition and identity. Here's where I'm coming from. In the military, it's so easy for us to size each other up within 10 seconds just by merely looking at the uniform the person's wearing. On the civilian side, you don't have that. So it's easy for us to find our identity in the uniform. Which ultimately means we find our identity and what we have done and accomplished. So as we transition out of the military, that's just one of many things that can be difficult, is knowing who we are and what we're about without a uniform.
0: I can answer your question I'm going to get a, go the long way to it. When I was in E7, I began to think about this, and and I am grateful for God's love for me and the faith that He's given me in Jesus. And God's the core of my life, Jehovah, our heavenly Father. And He began to ask me a question: Are you what you do, or what you do is who you are? And as I thought about that, going through the ranks of E7 and then an eight, and then now as a nine, and I was having these meetings with senior command sergeants major. I would ask him that question because as the sergeant major at the drug and alcohol discussion leaders course shared when I was a PFC, the life expectancy of retired command sergeant's major is five years after retirement. They just die. And the issue is identity. And I'll I'll just use combat arms in the army as an example. Okay, let's say an awesome infantryman. Becomes a first sergeant his 15th year in the army. You being a former soldier, what do we call this person more than anything else? First sergeant. We call him first sergeant. So they're hearing their occupation, not their name. Now they're buds and friends and they're calling each other by first name and that kind of stuff. But this same infantryman, the same combat arms guy, let's say gets promoted to sergeant major at 20 years. And what are we mostly calling him? until he retires at 30. Is he hearing his name? No, he's hearing his occupation. So it's really easy to slip into because of just that repetition of hearing your occupational title for that title to define who you are. And so when you stop doing what you're doing, and your idea, your identity was based on what you did, what do you do? Where are you? Who are you? You know, so the first couple of weeks, maybe, maybe a month or so after retirement, you know, it's kind of like being on leave, right? We've been on long leaves or two-week leave. So it's it's kind of cool. But when it gets to, to month two and three and four and six, and you're not doing what you used to do for 30 years, and your identity's attached to it, the question is, who are you? Why do you get up in the morning? So God helped me personally come to the the realization and the truth, he created me, led me to be a chaplain assistant, a chaplain sergeant major. Based on who I was, it wasn't what I did. So I didn't struggle as much with the issue of identity when I retired, because I just went and found other things to do that were based on who I am. Did I miss the uniform? Yes. Did I miss the camaraderie? Yes. Did my waist miss physical fitness? Yes. But I was, I was still being who I am, no matter what I was doing. I am Michael J. Weiss Sr. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley and Southern California in the Los Angeles area, and I went active duty from the LA MEP station on the 23rd of August, 1977, and I joined the Army to be a chaplain assistant. And that's what I did for 30 plus years. It was perfect and the timing was great. And probably the greatest honor I received is that the, uh, the chief of chaplains and his sergeant major, Tommy Marrero, chief of chaplains was Doug Carver, Major General Doug Carver, they invited me to be the honorary sergeant major of the Chaplain Corps Regiment during their tenure. And they, uh, they commissioned me. And the honorary colonel, which is a good friend of mine, Chaplain, retired Colonel Sir Walter Scott, they commissioned us to minister to the chaplains and chaplain assistants. Our job was to care for those that were on active duty, which is like who you were. And I am so proud of you, Tiffany, and our meeting together in the mid 90s at Fort Sill and maintaining our relationship. And I I couldn't be more pleased and more proud of who you are what you're doing and pushing forward for what's right. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: So I said, I was going to answer your question. I'm going to get a, go the long way to it. Sure. Um, when I was in E7, I began to think about this and, and I am grateful for God's love for me and the faith that he's given me in Jesus. And God's the core of my life. Yehovah, our Heavenly Father. And he began to ask me a question. Are you what you do? or what you do is who you are. And as I thought about that, going through the ranks of E7 and then an eight, and then now as a nine, and I was having these meetings with senior command sergeants major, I would ask him that question. Because As the sergeant major at the Drug and Alcohol Discussion Leaders Course shared when I was a PFC, the life expectancy of retired command sergeant's major is five years after retirement. They just die. And the issue is identity. And I'll I'll just use combat arms in the Army as an example. Okay, let's say an awesome infantryman becomes a first sergeant his 15th year in the Army. You being a former soldier, what do we call this person more than anything else? First sergeant. We call him first sergeant. So they're hearing their occupation, not their name. Now they're buds and friends and they're calling each other by first name and that kind of stuff. But this same infantryman, the same combat arms guy, let's say gets promoted to sergeant major at 20 years. And what are we mostly calling him until he retires at 30? Is he hearing his name? No, he's hearing his occupation. So it's really easy to slip into, because of just that repetition of hearing your occupational title, for that title to define who you are. And so when you stop doing what you're doing, and your idea, your identity was based on what you did. What do you do? Where are you? Who are you? You know. So the first couple of weeks, maybe maybe a month or so after retirement, you know, it's kind of like being on leave, right? We've been on long leaves or two week leaves, so it's it's kind of cool. But when it gets to, to month two and three and four and six. And you're not doing what you used to do for 30 years and your identity is attached to it. The question is, who are you? Why do you get up in the morning? So God helped me personally come to the, the realization and the truth. He created me, led me to be a chaplain assistant, a chaplain sergeant major. Based on who I was, it wasn't what I did. So I didn't struggle as much with the issue of identity when I retired, because I just went and found other things to do that were based on who I am. Did I miss the uniform? Yes. Did I miss the camaraderie? Yes. Did my waist miss physical fitness? Yes. Um, but I was, I was still being who I am, no matter what I was doing. And I I think that's significant. And I think everyone that's listening to this, it's not military dependent. It's all of us. Are you what you do? If that's true about you, then when you stop doing what you're doing, who are you? And as a a life coach, and I've coached many folks transitioning out out of the military, is, okay, let's say the job, the profession of being a soldier was based on who you were as you're transitioning out of the military. We're just going to help you find work to do, profession, education, whatever it might be, based on who you are. And you get to continue to be who you are. There's no gap there. And I, I think that's significant. And I think everyone that's listening to this, it's not military dependent it's all of us. Are you what you do? If that's true about you, then when you stop doing what you're doing, who are you? And as a a life coach, and I've coached many folks transitioning out of the the military is, okay, let's say the job, the profession of being a soldier was based on who you were. As you're transitioning out of the military, we're just going to help you find work to do, profession, education, whatever it might be, based on who you are. And you get to continue to be who you are. There's no gap there. Welcome. How are you? All right, good to see your smiling face.
1: Ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you? I hadn't seen you in forever.
0: It has been forever. I'm doing well, thanks and you. Good. Well, the latest for me is that on the 15th of April I had a heart attack. Nuh-uh. On the 19th of April, I had double bypass heart surgery.
1: That's a big deal. So how are you feeling now?
0: I'm I'm feeling really well. If I wasn't in as good a shape as I was going into it, the 90% blockage on the left front artery would have I've not recovered from that heart attack. God has blessed me, and I'm I'm recovering well.
1: That's good. Were you a, were you by yourself when it happened? Or?
0: I'd actually just finished working out at CrossFit on a Wednesday evening, and Chest pains along the top of my chest, and I didn't recognize them as as heart attack symptoms. Really painful. And when I woke up the next morning, the pain was gone. So I said, okay, God, cool. Thanks. But then as Thursday afternoon progressed, the the pain started coming back. And an angel, Holy Spirit, Jesus himself said, hey, why don't you go search the Internet? What are heart attack symptoms? And I got there and yes, 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 no, yes, 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 yes. And I grabbed my communication gear and said, hey, Darlene, I'm I'm heading to the ER and I didn't come home for 11 days.
1: Wow. I and many other people in the room made the same mistake. We looked at what our base pay was and our benefits were. Uh, were and we just said, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I can make this much money. But we weren't calculating that cost of, oh, by the way, that health care and dental care, whether it's you know, phys- physical health, mental health, dental, um, ju- like getting vaccinations, every little thing adds up. But those little additional things that add up, we weren't having to pay for. And now we're going to have to budget for that, too. So now mm-hmm. we really have to look at saying, OK, maybe I need to get paid this much more than what my... LES said that I was valued at for that, you know, job. So Mm -hmm. small little things that seem to be no big deal, but they're, they're huge.
0: Well, they are. And and to add to that, Tiffany, um, most of us, and this isn't a military retired, um, statement, but most of us undervalue our skills and abilities and capabilities. Mm -hmm. So when we think about how much, how much are we worth to an employer? Mm-hmm. What's, what should we seek for in the sense of annual payment um, and benefits too, but specifically payment? We usually ask for less than we're worth.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'm not getting this much, but based on my military experience, my education, coaching credentials, stuff like that, if I was to go out and get a job, I'd be looking for a job at about $120,000 a year, and that's the low end, but I have a hard time asking for that. Mm -hmm. Really hard time asking. And again, that's not just a retiree issue. It's, I think it's all of us. Yeah. Most of us. I won't say all of us. Oh
1: yeah. And, and that's, that's been a lifelong struggle for me. I, I have, I, I have some wonderful, wonderful friends who get on me about that. I always sell myself short. Um, because I don't I don't I, I see myself through a lens of um, through a lens of my mistakes and knowing some knowing my shortcomings and that's how I view myself I don't view myself self as what I'm capable of and able to do I view myself of the things that I can't do and then I sell myself short right. um, so I am very guilt I am still very guilty of that and it, so I, I yeah it's hard it's hard to say no I am worth at least one hundred and twenty thousand a year. I I mean, I couldn't imagine. I can't imagine me saying that to somebody, because I I don't necessarily believe it. Should I? Maybe so. But yeah, so yeah, that's that for sure. So that would that would ask want me make me want to ask you then, you know, because of how because of because you're right. It's not it's not solely military people that, that struggle with that. There's people all, all over the world that, that struggle with that self-esteem and that identity. Um how, how do you then measure what success looks like or what progress looks like in life? How because if it's if it's, you know, professionally it might be with that dollar amount. But how do you how do you know if you've been success, been successful at something? Well,
0: I'm gonna take a long way to answer that. Sure. And I I mentioned that I was going to share some things about as I was preparing to retire. Mm -hmm.
1: um,
0: The privilege I had as a a chaplain sergeant major would would be to go in and and have office calls with command sergeants major at at all levels. And while we're chatting, um, I'd ask them, what's, you know, what's your future look like? Are you retiring this year, next year, whatever? And... um, we'd start talking about identity. And very simply, are we what we do or is what we do because of who we are? When I was a PFC in E3 at Fort Bragg, my company commander sent me down to the drug and alcohol discussion leaders course in the old division area of Fort Bragg. It was a three week course. And we had a retired command sergeant major teaching the class. And all of us young bucks were just drooling. I don't know how many times he served in Vietnam and all that kind of stuff. But he'd go off on tangents. And the only thing I remember from him that, that has rung true and been true is that he said the life expectancy of a retired command sergeant major is five years after retirement.
1: We'll be right back. Subscribe now. I think it's great to be able to put yourself in a place where you are vulnerable and say, you know what? I don't know what's going on with me, but something's a little off. Something is not right. I need some help. Good
0: question. Um, my depression, I could feel it coming. That dark cloud coming. I knew it was coming. I didn't know how long it was going to stay. And I could feel myself going down in this pit. I didn't know where bottom was. Mm -hmm. And once I hit bottom, I didn't know how long I'd be there. I played with how am I going to kill myself? The most honorable way to hurt the people the less or whatever it might be. I never had a means to do it. And I was a trainer in suicide prevention using assist. And I really love their model. Mm-hmm. And then you just ask those three questions. You know, do you have a plan? Do you have the means to complete the plan? And is there a history of suicide in your life? Not only family members, but close friends, because there's mm-hmm. a propensity for you to be more susceptible to suicide. Um, I have known a number of people in my military career that did commit suicide, but I, I never, never engaged in the plan. But I'd be sitting there in that bottom of that pit crying and weeping and you know I don't deserve to live and I'm causing everybody just terrible problems and I'm, I'm living a lie and if they knew the truth and woe is me. And it was, it, it sucked being in that pit, but I want to share a picture that as we, we got my meds, right. My personal therapist asked me, how are you doing? And I said, his first name is Chris. I said, Chris, in the past before the meds in the past, I again knew I could feel the depression coming and it'd be like I was on my back, the dying cockroach position, my feet and legs in the air. And, and I'm on this muddy hill, and I'm sliding down this muddy hill, and I can't stop, and I don't know where bottom is. But now, with these chemicals in my body, I can feel it coming, and I can dig in my heels and backpedal out of it. Um, yes, I can indeed. Um, and again, as my wife and I, with our therapist, started looking back at the symptoms of bipolar, we're able to go back and go, Oh yeah, here's mania. Here's depression. Here's mania. Here's depression. Um, But also in a discussion with my wife, a couple years ago, I was just kind of talking out loud and, you know, there's some people that just really love being in the army. It's just, it's in their blood. And I did 30 years. And I wonder what, and some of this is part of my own makeup anyway, but I'm not as attached to the Army and my time in the Army as, uh, as many of my peers and my friends are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that as Darlene and I were talking about it, um, I was in survival mode until we got my, my meds leveled out. My internal life was so topsy turvy that, in many ways, I was just trying not to be, not to fail on a daily basis. I was just surviving. Um, a very successful survivor, and by God's God's grace, was there. But it's also very easy for people in uniform to hide. Um, All you need to do to be successful as an enlisted person in any branch of the military is look good in your uniform. um, Be at formation before you're supposed to be there and get your job done before it's supposed to be completed. And you can hide. You can hide all you want. You can keep the lid on. Um, Many of my depressions were that I thought the lid was coming off and the world would know that Michael was an imposter. So my 30 years on active duty, I did not, because I was in survival mode, I did not feel as close to being a soldier as many do. Maybe felt like an imposter. So yeah, I wasn't a real soldier, I was pretending. Um, but you know, you know, me, you, you met me when I was a master sergeant. We've, we've interacted since then. Um, I'm not saying I was broken and I was dead and I was limping everywhere I went. Um, God's grace was, is, and continues to be, um, very powerful in my life. But I can also tell you that I can identify other hurting people. Just like as you're shaking your head yes right now, hurting people can identify hurting people from a distance. And I love having one-on-one conversations and um, helping people talk about their pain, getting it out. When we were talking earlier about what you do is because of who you are, right now, Mm -hmm. as I'm spending this time with you, this is who you are. This is natural. Mm -hmm. This is easy. This is caring. You're passionate about it. Um, Sure, there's some work to be done and problems happen and that kind of stuff. But as I look at you right now, Tiffany, you're you're living who you are and it makes a difference in the stress level of our life. pastor in Southern California named Rick Warren wrote a book, 40 Days of Purpose. And in his introduction, he said, you know, most people face life as ups and downs. And either you're in the pit, or you're heading to go up, but then you're going back down again. He said, I try to view life as a set of railroad tracks. And you need both tracks for a train to go forward. And that at any given time in our life, there are good things happening and they're bad. There's things that we're grateful for and things that are causing us pain. So that removes the highs and lows. And that's true of all of us at any given time. And I mentioned Assist, and it's a in a suicide intervention model. And what I really love about Assist is that they say almost the same thing. They say someone's considering killing themselves, they have solid reasons to kill themselves, to end their life. But the model is, is help them remember the reasons they have to live. Because at the very same time, they have reasons to live. At the moment in which they're standing on the ledge, so to speak, um, they're standing on the ledge they're only looking at all their reasons not to live. And so, hey, wait a minute, how old's your daughter? Well, she's, she's about to graduate high school and she's dating a guy and looks like they're real serious. And so if you jump from this ledge, who's gonna walk your daughter down the aisle? Don't you wanna do that? Don't you wanna be there for that? Is that a reason for you not to jump? Well, yeah, that's, yeah, I wouldn't wanna, and we're not trying, and that, that model is not trying to connive people and to trick them so you can get them to look the other way and you grab them and pull them off the edge. It's true. Any one of us at any time could focus on all the bad things in life and it's, it sucks. Um, But the bottom line for me, the icing on the cake for me is love, being loved and accepted 100%. And what I've really enjoyed is I've lived life in the middle since I was 56, so to speak, with the meds. I've really grown to understand how much God loves me. I don't understand how much he does, but I understand him more and more. That he loves, accepts me, is proud of me, cares for me. And oh, by the way, he hasn't been doing that since I was conceived in my mother's womb. He's been loving me, caring for me, you, Tiffany, and everyone else listening since before creation. When he thought of us before he made anything. He has loved us longer than anyone else. And when I think about what he thinks about me, how he loves me, it helps me be okay. I mean, that, that simple song, all we need is love, I think it's really true. It's how God wired us, and he is the source of perfect love. My parents didn't love me perfectly. My siblings didn't. My relatives didn't. My wife doesn't. My kids don't, and vice versa. But for me, through my faith in Jesus Christ, I have a restored and reconciled relationship with Heavenly Father. And I have a Heavenly Father who loves and adores me and loves, in this case, loves to play with me, loves to go surfing with me, loves to go out in the wilderness and and just go for a hike with me. I have somebody that no matter what is on my side and not ashamed of me. That makes a huge difference from the inside out. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you, and have a nice day.